Well, if anybody ever had a method to their magic, it was Walt Disney. What a legacy. It's more than just the Magic Kingdom and Mickey Mouse and great kids movies, too. Disney literally sets the gold standard when it comes to customer service and hospitality. So much so that they even have their own business school and internship programs and degree programs named after them. There's even a Disney Advanced Studies in Hospitality Management course. So many companies in the resort and lodging business try to imitate Disney's level of service, and for good reason. There are also some other great names in the hospitality world that come to mind when I think of great service, like the Four Seasons and the Ritz and the Waldorf Astoria. Okay, hardly any of those have I ever stayed at. I've never even stepped foot in the Waldorf Astoria. But doesn't their reputation just come to mind when you think of great hospitality? And we even know a thing or two about hospitality here in the Valley, given all of the resort visitors that we receive. We've got to be top-notch here. And what each of these renowned customer service-oriented companies has in common is a relentless practice of putting others first. As one CEO put it, service is what you do to someone, hospitality is how you make them feel. So let's just take a, a step back though, a few thousand years to ancient times, back when there were no hotels or restaurants or inns. If you were traveling alone, regardless of your personal wealth or your own personal well-being, you were dependent on the kindness and generosity of others, often strangers. Welcoming strangers was central to almost every culture in ancient times, and it was practiced everywhere. You know this because I'm guessing if you only know one thing about Christianity, it's that Jesus was born in a manger while his parents were traveling because there was no room at the inn. And an inn was really just some guy's house who probably had a few extra bedrooms and word got out that this was the person that you could send your friends and extended family to and he'd put them up for the night. Sounds a little bit like my house. <laughs> right? I got a few visitors sitting over here. So we see the, the roots of hospitality everywhere in the Bible, beginning in Genesis 18, when Abraham and Sarah offer their home to some travelers who turn out to be angels accompanying God. Hence today's reading, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. But the Bible also speaks of other ways of being hospitable that don't have anything to do with opening up your home to weary travelers. For example, in the Old Testament, hospitality also meant leaving a little extra in your crop field for those in need. The Jewish people were expressly told that when they cut their fields, they were to leave the edges for those who were traveling, for foreigners, for widows, for orphans. They were not to cut all the way to the edges, but to leave some for those in need. Also, when the Jews celebrated their holy days, God instructed them to bring everybody together 
Sons and daughters, all their slaves, neighboring tribes, everyone in the town, anyone who was in need or orphaned or widowed or poor, everyone was invited, making sure they all had some place to be for the holidays. And then, of course, Jesus' life was all about hospitality, both giving and receiving. He was a guest in many different homes, at all kinds of meals. And even though we have no idea if he even had a home, he played host to everyone, feeding the hungry, even if it meant 5,000 of them. He made sure the lowliest guest had a place of honor. He stopped to talk to women, to people in distress, to those on the margins of society whom no one else wanted anything to do with. And so it's on this foundation of warmth and generosity and welcome that Christians built their names. It seems hard to believe now as we hear and see some of the ways that our fellow Christians treat each other and behave toward others, but Christians were always known for their hospitality. In the fourth century, this played out in a really interesting way. Christianity had already made some inroads into Rome. It had become the official religion of the Roman Empire, as I'm sure many of you remember, under Constantine. But when the emperor Julian took over, he reverted back to some of the religious practices, the national religious practices of that day. And in a letter, that he wrote to one of his high-ranking officials in Rome, we see this, that Christians were already well-known for their service and care of others. Julian wrote about the Christians in a letter that was dated June of 362. And he said this, it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that was causing Christianity to spread so rapidly. I love that. He didn't really care so much for the Christians, as you can tell. Their pretended holiness, he called it. He didn't think it was the real deal. But then Julian also did something remarkable. In the same letter, he instructed the officials to build hostels in every city so that foreigners and beggars, as he called them, would have somewhere to go. He said in the letter that Jews never abandoned their own people to beg, and that the Christians not only cared for their own poor, but for ours too, he wrote. And he said, it's a disgrace that we don't do the same. And he wrote, quote, we need to be more like the Christians, end quote. Whom he hated. So God works in mysterious ways. Over time, Christians built hospitals, which the word, of course, is the same Latin root that comes from hospitable. They were known for their care of the communities that they lived in, and their governments began to rely on the clergy and the lay people alike to provide important social services, which is still true today. It's fundamental to who we are as Christians because we are told to imitate Jesus. We imitate Jesus in order to be more like him. And being hospitable is just one of the ways that we become more like Christ. Being loving to our neighbor 
makes us more like Christ. Being prayerful makes us more like Christ. Being more attuned to the needs of the poor makes us more like Christ. Being quick to listen but slow to anger makes us more like Christ. Turning the other cheek, loving our enemy, coming as with the heart of a child, this all makes us more like Christ. And we do these things not because we have to in order to be right with God, not because we've been given a new set of rules that we have to follow in order to get to heaven. We're not trying to earn our way to the kingdom. We're trying to help bring about the kingdom. We do these things because everything we do in imitation of Christ changes us from the inside out. And it takes practice. It takes practice to imitate Christ. That's why we call it practicing our faith. When we practice something in a committed and purposeful way, it becomes part of who we are and then part of the fabric of our communities. Many of you know that my son is in the Air Force, and in fact, I didn't know, but we have our, our son's best friend visiting this morning, sitting right up here. So that was a nice treat. So you, get to, you can agree or disagree with this story, Carl. But uh, many of you know that Nick, is, Nick and Carl are in the Air Force, and I think if you asked anybody in the military, they'd tell you that keeping the corners square on the edges of their bed or lining their socks up just so in their drawers, or polishing their shoes every night is not their favorite part of being in the military. But it's that practice of day in and day out during basic training and beyond that creates a kind of discipline in them, standing at attention, memorizing what seems like minutia to us, saluting their superiors, speaking with respect to their superiors. That all gives them a military bearing that is almost immediately identifiable. It's the ongoing practice of certain behaviors that makes us recognize them in a certain way. And the same is true for, for other industries and other professions. There are many examples, muses, musicians and athletes you don't get to be first chair in the Philharmonic or Frank Sinatra or Lady Gaga or Tom Brady or John Elway overnight. It's a life of practice and discipline and sacrifice that allows us to see who you are. In the Gospels, we read about a time when people really started to kind of get a glimpse of who Jesus was. John the Baptist had been hearing about all the things that Jesus was doing, healing people, helping people, raising people from the dead. And he sent five of his own, or a few of his own, I don't know if there were five, a few of his own disciples out to get some more information. So these disciples, John's disciples, go to Jesus and we read in Luke's um, Gospel, chapter 7, John the Baptist, they said, sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, at this exact moment, 
right then and there, when the disciples were witness to it all, Jesus was curing people that had diseases. He was curing all kinds of sicknesses and evil spirits, and he gave sight to people who were blind. And they were witness to all of these things firsthand. And so Jesus turns to the messengers, and he says to them, go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. They wanted to know if Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, and he basically asks them a question right back. What do you think? What does my life look like to you? If it walks like a duck, and it looks like a duck. But then that made me wonder, what if somebody asked me or asked you that same question? What if we left here today and later this afternoon we run into an acquaintance and that person says, hey, you know, I have a question. Are you a Christian? I wonder if we would have the confidence or the guts to say, what do you think? What does my life look like to you? Do we shine God's light so that others see its brilliance? The bottom line is, I believe that God calls us to hospitality as a way to make us better human beings. I believe everything that God calls us to do, acts of service, loving our neighbor, inviting in strangers, caring for the needy, practicing unity over division, feeding the hungry, remembering those in prison as though we were in prison ourselves. Everything we do to care for someone else makes us better. And the more we do these things, the more we help to bring about the kingdom of God. So it's pretty much win-win. And again, it's not that we must do these things, it's that we can do them. It's not a command, it's more permission. Permission to go with Jesus, to represent him in the world by living lives of service to others. In 1995, there was a church in Philadelphia that had closed its doors. Attendance at the church had dropped dramatically, and the population of the area was decreasing. And so this church, St. Edward's Catholic Church, had made the difficult decision to close its doors. Now, at the same time in Philadelphia, there just happened to be a booming increase in homelessness. A tent city had been set up nearby, a few blocks away, and 40 or so families were camping there in the area that summer, including children, parents, people of all ages. So as the summer gave way and the fall temperatures began to drop, the group of 40 gathered themselves together and walked a few blocks over to the abandoned St. Edward's Church and decided to borrow it. The leader of the group said at the time that she thought God would want the homeless there, safe and warm inside the abandoned cathedral. 
and she figured it would be difficult for the archdiocese to evict homeless families. She was wrong. Now, to be fair, the archdiocese of Philly offered numerous ways to help the homeless that were alternatives to living in the abandoned church, but for a host of reasons, these families decided that none of those options would suit them, and frankly, they were trying to send a message to the city about the policies that were in place at the time. And so they stayed. And their numbers quickly doubled and then tripled as more and more homeless people arrived to live in St. Edward's Church. The neighbors started showing up and bringing them food, clothing, uh, donations, and diapers, and toys, all kinds of bedding. They just set up house. They had partitions for living quarters. They used the confessional as closet space. It went on and on like this for weeks. The children would get up and go to school in the morning, Sunday mornings. They had prayer services at the altar. Until finally one day, the archdiocese gave an eviction notice, and they had 48 hours to leave. So now it becomes a media circus. The news was making it look like the church was kicking homeless people out, because the church was kicking homeless people out. And to counter the bad publicity, the church officials decided that they would have a fire marshal come in and declare the building unsafe for people to live in. I'm beginning to understand a little bit why Disney is more known for its hospitality than the church these days. But it does seem as Christians, sometimes we get as caught up in the world as everyone else and we forget that we're actually called to imitate Jesus. So anyway, according to Shane Claiborne, who was one of the clergy who was present there as a volunteer at the time, not one of the representatives of the archdiocese, he said um, that that night around midnight, there was a knock on the door of the church. And when they opened it, there was a group of firefighters standing there. And they all thought, okay, well, this is it. They're here in the middle of the night. They've come when we're all sleeping, so we can't resist. Maybe they think we're going to put up a fight. I don't know. And so they just calmly said, look, could you please come back in the morning? The children are asleep. Everybody's already in bed for the night. And the firefighter said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. We're not here to kick you out. In fact, just the opposite. We know what's happening, they said, and it's not right. We are here to help you get ready for tomorrow. Because the fire marshal is coming, they said. So the firefighters spent the rest of the night with the homeless families and the volunteers working all night alongside one another, getting all of the exit signs, the fire extinguishers, the fire alarms up to code. And the next day, the archdiocese officials arrived along with the police and the media, of course, and the fire marshal walked through the property and he said, I'm not kicking them out, they meet fire standards. Now, I have no idea what religious affiliation these firefighters were, and I sure as heck am not bashing the Catholic Church because this just as easily could have been a United Methodist Church or an Episcopal Church or a Baptist one or a Church of Christ. We all are capable of bad decision-making. In fact, we take turns. 
Homelessness is also a very complicated issue. It has such complexity to it, so many different problems, and it's up to each community to confront. We're tackling that right here in Pitkin County. We have a task force together, currently working on what to do about our issues. How do we want to help people? So I get that. But what I know is that when we practice the actions and behaviors of Jesus, we change for the better. And over time, we might become, as we heard in the reading of Hebrews this morning, the spiritual and pastoral leaders that others look to emulate. And then they practice the actions and behaviors of Jesus, and they are changed. And then they become the leaders that others look to emulate. And it goes on and on like this. And when I think about it, when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, that is what he meant. We can talk to people. We can share our stories, introduce people to the Bible. We can invite them to church. We can preach and teach. We can go be missionaries. And we also don't have to say anything at all but instead let our actions be a silent witness to God working in our lives. As we are being changed, we are bringing about the kingdom of God by the effect that our lives have on others. People see God working in and through you. People see the light in you, however dim, however bright. They see you trying. They see you getting your life back on track. They see you healing from a painful experience in a powerful way. They see joy returning to you, or they see the kindness and care taking center stage in your life. They observe the way that you put others before self. They marvel at the gift of peace that surpasses all understanding. That's salvation. That's freedom. That's what we're creating here in our community by simply practicing what Jesus taught. There's a uh, pineapple on the cover of your bulletin this morning. Many of you might know that the pineapple has long been a symbol of hospitality. And the reason I found out is that pineapples were so expensive that they used to be reserved for only the most honored guests. 400 years ago or so, for example, a pineapple would set you back about $8,000. So if somebody served you a pineapple at dinner, you were pretty special. It became worldwide the symbol of hospitality. Architects have designed buildings with the pineapple up on the cupola on the top. People placed carvings of pineapples on their fence posts. Napkins and dinnerware and glasses all became popular. Fake pineapples were a very popular centerpiece, apparently. And people even rented pineapples for their dinner parties just to show hospitality. The roots of hospitality run deep in our Christian faith. It's one of the ways people know who we are. Now that pineapples are a little bit more affordable, maybe the new symbol of hospitality will be the cross and the people sitting at the feet of it. 
and strangers and travelers and all who need it will be drawn to the cross, knowing therein lies a group of people who care for the world and everything in it and who love like no other. Amen.